It is a topic horsemen are loath to discuss, but the reality of a cloned thoroughbred racehorse is getting closer. We'll discuss the latest advancements on that front and what they mean on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gate. They're in the gate. In the gate. They're in the gate. It's a head-bobbing finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. You can download us from the iTunes Store. You can get us at TuneIn.com or the TuneIn app. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. One of the tricks of the trade for us journalists is to craft an eye-catching beginning to our stories in order to get your attention and make you want to continue with what we've created. For a video story, that would be a series of beautiful pictures and evocative comments or clips. A written story might start with a prosaic turn of phrase, like Grantland Rice writing about the 1924 college football game between Notre Dame and Army by starting, Outlined against a blue-gray October sky, the four horsemen rode again. Well, just before New Year's, I came across an article online that wasn't written nearly so lyrically, but the opening line certainly got my attention. This was from a New Zealand website, horsetalk.co.nz. The article started with the phrase, A leading horse cloning company has raised the prospect of using gene editing to produce horses with superior athletic ability. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, what? Did that say a leading horse cloning company? How many horse cloning companies are there? Okay, that got my attention. What is this leading horse cloning company? What exactly are they doing? And what are the implications? Well, the company is called Kron Biotech. And it's based in Argentina. We're now joined by Daniel Sammartino, founder and CEO of Caron's parent company. So the idea, Mr. Sammartino, I guess, is to focus on a particular gene to create bigger, more muscular horses. How does the process work in as late terminology as you can? Well, Mr. Abrams, first, uh, it's a great honor to receive your call. And, uh, and I'm very thankful to your audience as well. The process, uh, we started a cloning company four or five years ago. A group of scientists brought this initiative, and uh, I was very, I was immediately cultivated by it. These scientists had, uh, had already cloned two horses before, so they had the experience. And we started from scratch. And after four years, now we we are proudly claiming that to be the the most advanced uh, horse cloning company in the world. We say that for three or four reasons. First, we achieved the highest productivity. Since we started, we had 96. Uh, since the first polo pony that we cloned, that was born in, in 2013, um, was the first polo pony cloned in Latin America. Uh, we had 96 after that, uh, and we are still a few to come this season. So we, we are reaching 100. This year, we had 12 clones of the same donor uh, in the same season. So first, productivity, 46 or almost 50 clones a year is very productive. 
So 96 in four years is quite impressive. Secondly, we have 100%, what we we call 100% health efficiency. The clones, uh, horse clones, have been historically characterized by having some health problems, syndromes, uh, situations. About 50% of them had some type of uh, health situation. For several years now, we had zero health problems. We have better health with clones than with conventional breeding. And finally, what really put us on on, on the most advanced uh, edge is that we generated the first embryo uh, genetically edited in the world. Uh, we, We achieved that last November, and we are working on that new line of research. The health situation uh, is going to be published in the Cloning and Stem Cells uh, Journal, which is a very prestigious scientific magazine that will be published uh, in the next couple of months. Now, wait a minute here. Are we talking gene splicing, where you alter just one sequence in a whole gene just to alter one characteristic? Or are we talking about out-and-out cloning here, where you create a whole new organism without sexual reproduction? Well, as you say, it's, it's two different things. Uh, pure plain cloning is the story where we feel that we are, we are the most advanced cloning horse company in the world. But gene editing is being the, our new line of research. And we, we achieved our first embryo. We still decided not yet to transfer those embryos. We are still working on gene editing. Gene editing uh, using CRISPR-Cas9 technique, uh, which is a sort of biological scissors, allow you to cut precisely in the DNA chain uh, the gene that you want to say. Sorry, I'm not very technical, but is the gene you want to remove, you use uh, this very precise biological scissors and you can insert the gene you, you want to. Uh, particularly, we are working on the myostatin gene, which is a gene that regulates muscular mass. It's, it's a muscle growth regulator, so it affects resistance and speed. But let me here make a, make a difference. We are working. Our main line of research, our aim, is not as is not aimed at modifying any gene or any, any, any gene in the horse. Our line of research is what we call precision genetic progress, is what we are trying to do or we're doing is that we are uh, understanding better the genome of the horse and its sequencing and use this powerful uh, tool that is CRISPR to uh, pick up the attributes of the genes you want and insert it in, a, in another particular DNA chain. So in practical terms is that we, you are accelerating evolution. We are not doing anything that you cannot find in nature. Eventually, with conventional crossing, over time, you know, crossing the, the genes would act uh, randomly. But eventually what you do is you aim at better and better horses with better and better attributes. 
So eventually you may find the specific horse. But what we are doing is by using this technique is we are accelerating that. So by crossing those bloodlines, we would arrive at the same situation, but maybe 20 years from now. So we are doing this in the, in the, in the lab and we are accelerating that. But, but it's not a horse that you would not find eventually in nature. But you're not actually cloning the horse. This is more like gene editing. You use the cloning technique to do that because you, you have to produce a clone uh, because that horse doesn't exist anymore. So you use the cloning. It's, it's a sort of a sum of two procedures, the scissor, the biological scissors with CRISPR and the cloning to arrive to the final result. So let me get this straight. This is about suppressing a gene sequence that limits the muscle mass a horse can develop. If you squelch that gene, then horses can presumably pack on more muscle without any limitation. But we all know that a horse's legs are somewhat spindly and very fragile. So what concern do you have that you're creating a new breed whose muscles are too big for its bones? Well, in reality, we are we have decided not to concentrate on that project. We, we as, I, as I said, because you have two options. You can, you can work on trying to modify genes uh, or you can work on trying to replace genes. And we decided to create a self-imposed boundary on that because, you know, our company works on many projects and it's, it's much more than horses and much more than than cloning horses. It's, it's horses is just one part. And uh, if I had to divide in two frontiers, two decisions that we made, two lines that we made, is one is for sport animals. For sport animals, we decided not to touch or knock or whatever any gene. We are just mixing the genes in a predetermined way to obtain better results, but it will not be a super muscle horse. It will be a, a horse that you can find by crossing bloodlines naturally. And we decided that's, that's a boundary we will, it's a self-imposed boundary we will maintain. On, on our other research projects, because you can imagine that we can use these powerful tools for many other things like other species, other animal species like cows or pigs, where we have projects for feeding purposes of these animals for humans or medical purposes of using genetically modified animals. There we don't have a self-imposed limit. There we, we are working on, we will work on transgenics and modified genes, and there the limits would be imposed by regulations but not by, by a self-imposed standard. Uh, but with horses, our concentration now is more not on touching, as, as you said, or knocking or modifying genes that could affect the muscles of the horse. As I said, there are uh, priorities in our company, and one is the welfare of animals. We're chatting here on In the Gate with Daniel Sammartino of Kron Biotech, a company that specializes in cloning animals. In just a few minutes, we'll get a different perspective on cloning animals. But in order to have a business, any business, there has to be a demand for a product. 
The idea of cloning is very controversial in the horse racing sector of the market, as you would imagine. So, where does the demand for cloned horses come from? At the moment, the first sport that developed clones is is polo. Polo is admitted clones, and the first one who cloned polo ponies was Adolfito Cambiaso, who is the best uh, polo player in the world. And and he uh, used to win the the Open in Argentina, which is the the most demanding tournament in the world. Uh, he used six clones of his uh, most famous uh, Quartetera. So he proved that clones work. Jumping horse is coming after. Endurance horse is coming after. Okay, I understand what you're saying. Here's the thing. In 2013, the International Federation for Equestrian Sports lifted a ban on cloned horses for competition. The organization said that cloned horses are unlikely to have any advantage over horses bred traditionally. That doesn't seem to be what you're saying. How do you view the stance of the Equestrian Sports Federation? Well, first, um, I have I have a particular view on cloned horses that that um, some people against cloning uh, said that it's not good for breeding. It's not good for breeding because it uh, stops evolution, it stops uh, genetic evolution, which is all the game is all about. Since man man exists, it has been in continuous search for genetic evolution. And in reality, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think that cloning should not be as a substitution of uh, traditional breeding. Cloning, I think, is, it should be as an additional tool, a very potential, a very useful tool to help breeding because it enhances, it opens more opportunities to breed. You have more mares to try more stallions uh, and therefore prove trial and error is, is, is a way of creating a better horse. Geldings could be back to reproduction. And, and if you talk to Adolfito about his clones, he's, he's saying that some of his clones are even better than the original. So it's a horse. It's, it's a twin. It's a, an identical twin, separated in time. It depends on how how you breed the horse. It depends on uh, how you do the breaking, how you do the training. The horse could be better, could be similar, could be worse. I think that the, the federation is right. It should be treated as another horse. Could that is no reason why shouldn't be allowed to compete. That's that's my personal opinion, at least in some sports. I, I understand that thoroughbred racing horses is totally prohibited. But in other sports where are more open or they have accepted cloning, I don't see edited genetic editing as something different to cloning. As I said, we are creating horses that could have found, could be found in nature naturally so i don't see any any particular reason to ban that so i think that they are right so you don't think the horses that you're breeding or creating would have an advantage genetically over other horses then why are you doing this it's a faster way of achieving a, a better horse 
That's the reason why we are doing it. But it could prolong. I mean, it's, it's like, like crossing. You cross lines, bloodlines, and you think uh, you are picking up the right stallion and the right mare, and your filly is going to be uh, better than his parents, and it happens not to be. And, and with this, is, is the same. The thing is that if, if you are picking up the right genes, uh, you might eventually come with a better horse. But I think it's a more, it's, it's, you have to see it as another breeding tool. That's the way of looking into it, in my opinion, not a, as a, a solution to any problem. Well, having said that, the ability to engineer an animal's genetics, equine, human, or otherwise, is a hugely controversial topic of which we as a society have not even scratched the surface. How has that idea entered into your approach, your process, as well as potential pushback? Well, let me talk about the vision we have for our, our company. Our purpose is to become a provider of solutions for better food for mankind, better medicine for mankind. And this is editing animals without limits because I believe, I believe that we have uh, the obligation of making a contribution to, to humanity uh, in, that, in that regard, with the exception of sports. In sports, we have a self-imposed boundary because we, we, although sports uh, is a business, our boundary is that we will not do any transgenic embryo. We will focus only on editing what could be uh, naturally found in nature. So, so cutting and introducing genes that could be found normally in nature. So I think that that reduces the controversy. So you will not find the super horse coming out from, from our lab. You will find a genetically maybe desired horse that proves to be good for some purpose, but if you analyze the DNA, you will not find any genetic transformation that could not have happened naturally in the horse. Though we hear about new scientific breakthroughs practically every day, it still seems hard to imagine that it's really about time to deal with the reality of cloning and or genetically engineering animals. And oh, by the way, we people are animals too. Daniel Sammartino of Caron Biotech, thank you so much for a few minutes to discuss this. Oh, Mr. Aaron, thanks. thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. We're going to take a short break here on In The Gate, but when we come back, a different perspective on the idea of cloning and genetically engineering animals. So don't go away. Welcome back to the In The Gate podcast. So ostensibly, Daniel Sammartino of Caron Biotech has voluntarily removed from his company's to-do list the out-and-out cloning of a thoroughbred racehorse. That doesn't exactly mean that such a thing won't happen, although, to be sure, the rules of every single thoroughbred jurisdiction state that registered foals must be bred by natural methods. I think we need to get a bit more clarification on what exactly we're talking about and what it all means for the future of racing. So, we've reached out to Dr. Pablo Ross, a professor of animal science at the University of California at Davis. 
and Dr. Ross is nice enough to join us for a few minutes. One point made earlier in the show, which I've read you make as well, is that using things like genetic testing, in vitro fertilization, and other things like that are meant to speed up evolution so it doesn't take 20 years to make a slight advancement in the breed. Okay, but where is the line to be drawn, if at all, between speeding up evolution and controlling evolution with things like gene splicing? Uh, I don't think that these tools speed up evolution. Evolution is, is the process where there is selection factors, right, environmental factors that select towards a specific trait, right? And, and sometimes we do artificial selection, like in, in animals. So I wouldn't necessarily call that evolution. But I could refer to that maybe um, using terms more like precision breeding, some people have referred to. But to me, um, it is a way in which you can get you know, a specific combination of genes or variants that have evolved naturally, most likely within the same genotype without really having to, you know, that otherwise using current technologies, it would take many, many years because probably they are in four or five or, you know, hundreds of different horses. So if you wanted to introduce just one extra characteristic to an animal that has already proven to have, you know, a good set of genes, if you do it through one of these uh, techniques of gene editing, it could be one generation. If you want to introduce just one gene without disturbing any other gene through uh, normal breeding, it may take you 50, 60 years. That could be, you know, one reason to use it. Now, what you use it for and what are your objectives for that, um, I think that's, that's the challenge. Um, but I couldn't say that, we're, that you would be speeding up evolution because we don't really know what's the direction of evolutionary forces. I understand. You were talking about dealing with one specific characteristic, and you yeah. know you can use all kinds of genetic testing, even at the embryonic stage of development, to mm -hmm. tell several characteristics about an animal. Now, is it your job to consider the ethical implications of that testing, or are you just the one who learns about and builds out the mechanism and lets others worry about what it means? I think everybody involved uh, needs to be kind of aware of what it means. And I think that in terms of animal breeding and artificial selection, we all, anybody that decides which horse mates with which other one, and anybody that decides which horse is going to have an offspring or which one is affecting evolution and is trying to modify the genetic composition of the next generation based on their own understanding and their own capacity. So I'm not sure what's the, you know, kind of the root of your question. What I'm trying to say is that this is one more approach, one more tool that we have in um, our efforts to direct genetic selection. And that can, you know, it, it's, I could say, a little bit more invasive than um, directed mating, but it eventually achieves the same 
objectives and the same goal and the same result. Now, do you think there will ever come a day where scientists like you could convince the jockey club, which controls the breed registry in the United States, that using means like gene splicing and embryonic testing to speed up natural reproduction is worth doing? I mean, that's up to the jockey club, um, you know, registry and, and what they what are the tools they want to be part of their breeding strategies. I think that whether they accept that or not, like I said, it's up to them. I think selection is probably already happening and it doesn't need to be embryonic selection, right? Selection in racehorses happens all the time. You have 10 foals, one is faster than the other, you keep the faster one. The other ones, you just don't breed them more or you don't use it for for future generations. So that's something that happens. Whether you do it based on their speed or if you do it based on a genetic test, I don't think that currently the Breeders Association limits that your ability to just, you know, take a blood sample of a horse, run a genetic test, and use that as your criteria for deciding which horse you want to keep or which horse you want to breed with which other one. I think those are all accepted methods. Obviously, in that case, we're not talking about changing or manipulating the genetics of that selected horse. We're just talking about looking and and reading their genes and based on knowledge uh, that we have, maybe that may be predictive of a better performance. So that's ongoing. I think the debate for this current debate that maybe what Karen is trying to do is, well, if you have identified some variants, some genes that are beneficial, can you just introduce them in a horse or in a genotype that doesn't have that beneficial characteristic? You may have others, but you may want these other characteristics. And that's something that, you know, within the current regulations of the jockey club, it would be really hard to achieve without um, kind of breaking some rules. I can tell you, I, I'm not sure what the jockey club criteria or, or, or what are their norms in terms of genetic modification. Because the way science is advancing, there could be ways in which you could modify an embryo without touching the embryo ever, without taking that embryo ever out of its natural environment. And, really? And that's where I'm not sure that you can be infringing any of the jockey club regulations because you couldn't be manipulating the embryo. How can you do that? Well, there's been, I mean, this is very uh, kind of preliminary, but there, there's been some work in, in mice, for example, where they can introduce new genes within the oviduct. Inside of, inside of the animal. So it does take surgery, but surgery is, is uh, it's allowed. And you wouldn't be taking the embryo out or putting it back in. You could just leave it where it is naturally, just infuse the genes there, have the genes introduced into that embryo. That's something that nobody has done yet in horses or any other species than mice, to my knowledge. But, I mean, I could see how that one more thing that associations need to start considering. I think this goes beyond the ethical aspect that you mentioned at the beginning. I don't think that 
artificial insemination is an unethical technique and it's been widely accepted by the general public, uh, but still some breeding associations don't allow for that kind of technology. So gene editing or changing genes is certainly it's a, a level a little bit higher than artificial insemination or in vitro fertilization or even cloning. And I think again, good discussion in all parts involved is always very healthy. Dr. Pablo Ross, a reproductive biologist at the University of California at Davis, is with us here on In the Gate. Now, we haven't hit on the idea of pure out-and-out cloning, an exact copy of a living organism without sexual reproduction. We said earlier in the show that it is allowed in the world of polo, but not horse racing. Now, what is your view on the idea of cloning? So cloning will produce you know, an individual that's genetically identical to another one. So it's not an identical animal. It's just the genetics is identical. And again, I think it's one of those reproductive technologies that can be very useful in terms of trying to artificially breed animals with a specific goal. So let's say we want to have you know horses that are faster and faster every year. Genetics can be very helpful for that. And reproductive technologies are often a very good uh, conduit to implement those, you know, to, to make a better use of our genetic knowledge. For example, I think a really good example is the dairy industry. So in dairy cows, they used to produce you know, eight, nine liters a day. Uh, but the use of artificial insemination and measurements of milk production and genetic selection for increased milk production makes that cows nowadays in California produce 60, 20 liters of milk per day. That's 10 times more. So that's an area where, you know, the, the system has embraced reproductive technologies to help advance the genetics of the animal with a specific goal more milk. Now, horse racing, maybe there is a goal of having faster horses. Maybe the idea is to continue to, to keep the playing field level for everyone. But if you did want to have faster horses, using these reproductive technologies is surely to help you do that and, and probably do it faster. If you look at the, uh, if you plot, right, if you graph the times, um, of the winners of the Kentucky Derby for the last 50 years, the line is pretty flat. That tells you probably hasn't been much genetic improvement uh, specific breed. Well, here's the thing. Let's take, for example, American Pharaoh, Triple Crown winner, the first in 37 yeah. years. Is it better to make lots of exact copies of him? Or if we do that, are we stagnating the breed and standing still, so to speak, is not good? Which is your view? I, I think the thoroughbreds are pretty stagnated breeds currently. I mean, like I said, horses are not getting any faster. If you look at the, the winner time for the uh, Kentucky Derby, so it's not like horses are getting better. So the breed is stagnant in terms of speed. Now, you want to have more of the same horse. Let's say American Pharaoh, eight genes, 
you want to use those in the future generations, the horse has an accident, and those genes disappear. Now, cloning gives you an opportunity to bring those genes back. Do you want to bring them back or not? Cloning will give you an opportunity to have, you know, five American farms that you could use, one in South America, one could be in uh, Saudi Arabia, one could be in the UK, one could be in the US, producing more offspring. And then they breed with advance because the good genes now are dispersed in more mares, they produce more foals. The current system is that there's only one American pharaoh. If it has a problem, it, cannot, it won't be able to breed any other, any other offspring. And it's going to be limited to kind of his capacity or, you know, what the owners uh, do with it. But I think that these kind of decisions in terms of do you allow reproductive technologies or do you allow cloning in a breed registry have less to do with ethics than with um, business. And it's a matter of how do you want to carry out your business. Is it harder to clone a horse than it is to clone a pig or a sheep, or do I dare say a human? Um, so humans haven't been cloned to, to produce offspring, and nobody could, you know, could have a really good reason for that, because the big difference is that in humans we don't do artificial selection. So we don't have a goal of improving the genetics or improving any characteristics, right? We get natural selection to happen by itself, but we don't improve it. Not yet, anyway. Well, that's kind of the, the consensus. I think that would be ethically, it would be very challenged if somebody would propose to do that. On the other hand, in animals, like I said in the example before dairy cows, we want them to produce milk. Uh, so if they produce more, it's better for the systems. Um, so there is a selection, there is a genetic selection, and it's artificial and it's based on human criteria, right? We set up where we want to go. So in that case, we do want to clone. And whether it's different, I mean, it's more efficient to clone horses versus cows versus pig, I would say it's probably the same. It's very variable, and the efficiency changes very widely within each species for every attempt. For some reason, some cells, some individual cell lines that are used to produce the clones are very efficient, and some are very inefficient, some are impossible to clone, so on. So I think the efficiency is still not very efficient, but it works. Well, my teenage son tells me I'm old and out of touch, but I think even at age 46, I can say that in my lifetime, the business interests you just described are going to necessitate making an actual decision on whether all of these, including cloning, are allowed in the thoroughbred business. And thank you so much for a few minutes, Dr. Pablo Ross, for sharing these ideas with us. This is fascinating. Well, thank you very much for uh, contacting me, and uh, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you. Our thanks to Dr. Pablo Ross and to Daniel Sammartino. Sometime in the next few weeks, San Luis Rey will open again, though it won't operate at full capacity. Yet when the first horsemen are allowed to roam the grounds, it'll be a tribute to their amazing sagacity. For many knew the best option as the lilac fire raged and mercilessly consumed all in its path 
was to turn the horses loose to run away from the wildfire, though 46 would not escape its wrath. Two horsemen that we know of suffered serious injuries, but they and many others risked their lives to save those of their horses, even returning to the conflict. For the benefit of others did they strive. San Luis Rey might close one day if the folks at Santa Anita expand facilities there, as they're hoping to do. But as a tribute to those horses who died and the horses and people who lived, San Luis Rey must start again anew. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us on the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.